and welcome to Tea Time Theology. My name is Taylor Wilkie, and I am your very excited host for this season. I am particularly excited today because I will be talking to the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island, and the sponsor of this podcast. Welcome, Bishop Nisley. Oh, it's great to be here, and great to meet you, and, and uh, see what you're doing in person, finally. Yeah, it's really great to finally meet you also. Um, I know we had a little bit of a few scheduling conflicts on the way, but now we're finally here, and I'm excited to sit down and talk to you. Yeah, I apologize. My, my calendar is, is depressingly complicated, and it's gotten more so as we've come back from the shutdowns at COVID, mm. and we've uh, been trying to get caught up on things we missed over the last year or two. So, oh, absolutely. But it's... I'm glad you were patient, and we could get this uh, time together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been the same where I, I work. It seems like everything that was pushed back last year is happening this year. And then everything that's supposed to happen this year is still happening this year. So we're just doing double duty with everything. I'm, I'm pulling double shifts. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought since, since I got you here, I wanted to first of all thank you for making all of this possible. Oh, hey, we're delighted to be sponsoring it. We're delighted that people are listening, and I'm grateful for the various guests you've had spending time with you. This is something that I never thought, if you asked me three years ago, would that, that or if you told me I'd be doing this, I wouldn't have believed anybody. Yeah. So thank you so much for making all of this possible. I also wanted to ask, what made you want to sponsor such an ambitious podcast, such as this one, that we are now in our third season of? How long do you have for an answer? Oh, we have at least 40 to 50 minutes. <laughs> All right. So I was originally a physics major in college with a dance minor and an astronomy focus. And I went to graduate school. And while I was in graduate school in the mid to early 80s, I was using computers. I was on the internet before it was really the internet. It was ARPANET, and we were telnetting in, and we were using large computers and Cray computers to do big, uh, complicated calculations. And so I knew there was an internet, and I, I knew what you could do with it in principle. But it really was years later, when I was a priest in a parish, uh, that people were talking about web pages. And one night, I was uh, spending the night keeping a watch over a homeless shelter we had in our congregation. So mm -hmm. I was sleeping in my office uh, with the homeless people in the rest of the church. And I got up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, and I installed this web browser that I'd heard about called Netscape and put it on my <laughs> Windows computer, and I made a long-distance call to a dial-up service so I could get onto the Internet. And I was exploring this amazing thing, and I looked up, Something at the time, I think it was a Sunday night, and Married with Children had been on TV. Mm. And I, I typed into, oh, I don't know, it was Ask Jeeves or one of the really early mm. on uh, web search engines, something about Married with Children. And I found this fan page that a teenager in New Jersey had put up. Mm. And I realized, here's this amazing technology that is connecting people with real excitement and enthusiasm about obscure subjects with other people that might be looking for something like that without having to go through publishers or intermediaries or anything else. And I, in a flash, realized this was something the church needed to take seriously and do. Mm. So from that time on, I became sort of the apostle of the internet. And I've had uh, roles in the national church and the international Anglican communion, always trying to find ways to take 
communications technology and use it to make connections with people who have incredible stories to tell, have ideas that need to be shared, or just to help people understand that there's lots of ways of understanding the gospel, mm -hmm. lots of ways of understanding the Bible, maybe not just the one they're being told that's also condemning them mm -hmm. at the same time. So podcasts are just part of that work, whether it's a podcast or a, an email newsletter or a video show or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've been really interested as a consumer of podcasts to see this culture growing up and this new media is kind of becoming mature and taking root and now struggling because you have so many large companies coming in and buying mm. up all the podcasts. It's, and it, yeah. it's making it a lot more complicated for people to get an audience than it yes. used to be. Yes, and it's, uh, they say right now there's one, there's one podcast right now for every person in the world. Right. But, that exists. But you are in the elect and select few because you have three seasons of a podcast. That's right. Most podcasts only last for two episodes. Yes. And that was that was my unnamed original yeah. podcast that I ran. Um, you can find it if you want to look, listeners, yeah. but I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's talk about it. So a brief history, since, like I said, since we got you here, a brief history of Tea Time Theology. Uh, Ivy Swinsky reaches out to me and says, "Hey, I've heard you. I heard you. I heard you used to run a bad podcast. Do you want to run a good one?" And I said, "Absolutely." Um, so, how did you first meet, or how, how did Ivy first reach out to you with this idea, uh, and how did uh, and how did you and her hook up to make what eventually became Tea Time Theology? So, the problem with the Episcopal Church right now is we're not having enough failures. Right? We need more failures. We need to try stuff, crazy stuff. And see what happens. And some of it's going to work great, and some of it is just going to be insanely bad. And we're really so afraid to fail that we're not willing to try. And I've been talking about that a lot in the diocese, I think, about the time that mm -hmm. Ivy got this idea. And so she came to me and pitched the idea. And I said, ooh, great. What's it going to cost? And she told me what the, uh, the buy-in was, and that's certainly within the kind of money that we had sitting around for these kinds of new ventures. Okay. I said, let's go for it. Great. What's the worst that can happen? We don't get any audience, and we now know something about how to make podcasts. We've made a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. We now know when we have a great idea how we can get started on it. But mm -hmm. it's turned out that we have an audience, and people are tuning in, and you've got great and interesting guests. So this is not in the failure one. Mm. I've, def I've definitely learned... Just from being a part of this, more about faith and my mm. own faith, and and and, and I le I've learned a lot more about how to produce a podcast right. through this process. So it's this, this has been a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and and what more can anyone want? So when Ivy came to you, what did you think the show would be when she first pitched it to you? Did you th uh, did, did you think it was going to be like this? Did you think it was be something else? So if you were to ask me questions about faith, I would give you answers that were really important to people of the 4th century, or maybe the 16th century. Because mm. clergy tend to be taught to think in those kind of categories. Those are times of great controversy in the church, and mm. when we worked really hard to get answers. But I am more and more convinced that none of our answers make any sense to people in the 21st century. And I was hoping that you would ask questions of people that had nothing to do with anything they'd learned about in seminary, nothing mm. you've been trained to answer. And you have. Mm. And that's been great because it allows them to be human. It allows them to make real connection. 
And I think it helps them understand the kinds of questions that people are asking. We have great communicators. We have people that we spend a lot of money on getting theologically trained, but they tend to know a lot of stuff about things that no one cares about anymore. Mm. And I think that's, uh, like I said, I, and I've said this before, and I guess I'll just say it again. Um, this season, we're focusing on pop culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, this has been my secret agenda the entire time we've been producing this podcast, is to get a season on pop culture, sit, a, sit down across from a clergy member and say, hey, Star Trek, they talked about this. How does it equate to our belief structure mm-hmm. And, and all that. And uh, and I, so far, I think it's going very well. I, so I hope you've discovered that most clergy are secret sci-fi buffs oh, or yes. huge in the fantasy. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, a good science fiction novel or a good science fiction movie is an opportunity for the creator to play with a moral dilemma. Mm. And, you know, it's like the trolley problem in ethics. Yes. Where you're trying to figure out how do I decide how to make a moral thing? And, and you tweak the conditions so you can figure out, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what I was saying, Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician mm-hmm. who was also an ethicist, uh, spent a ton of his time working out these kinds of questions. And the Jesuits in their early days were working out these things. It's called causatory. Mm-hmm. Well, science fiction and fantasy are ways for people to do that now by setting up a universe with conditions, kind of like we would do in a physics model or mm-hmm. in a... Um, if I was trying to do a simulation of a stellar atmosphere, mm. I'd set up a model and I'd vary the parameters to I, I saw where something really interesting and unexpected was happening. Mm. Well, it's the same thing with science fiction and fantasy. And because it's moral and it's mythic and it tends to ask the big questions, which are the things that clergy are interested in anyhow, it's usually mm. what got them interested in mm. being clergy in the first place. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. You know, people, you go into clergy houses and you'll find Lego starships. Um, I've got a collection of, of comic books in my office. We have, I have a lightsaber that someone made me down in my office. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, and that's not surprising. Batman, mm. Superman, mm. all kinds of things. Oh, yeah, they're absolutely great. There's a, there's a great book um, called The Boy Who Loved Batman. Mm. And it's Mike Uslan's book. He's the pro- executive producer of all the Batman films. And he talks about how he started um, a, a class on Superman in college where he equated it to the Bible. And he started equating comic books to the Bible stories. And he had a lot of pushback initially from the school and says, you can't make the argument that blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, first of all, the guys who wrote Superman were two devout Jewish men. And also, what's the story of Moses? Moses was put down a basket and put in a basket and pushed down the Nile. And what was Superman? Kal-El was put in a ship and shot off to Earth to be raised by people to be the best he could be. It's 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 an it's an indirect allegory to the story of Moses. And, and then to lead his people to a new way of being community. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's messianic. It's Davidic. Uh, it, it's deeply rooted in mm. those kinds of tropes. And and you see that in you know, Thor. They're playing with those same kinds of questions, but it's Norse mythology. Mm. But all of them have a a kernel of truth in them. And you find that, um, one of my favorite stories, a few years ago, the bishops of the Episcopal Church were up in Alaska, and we were meeting with the Athabascan tribes people. And one of the priests of of that uh, indigenous group came and talked to us. And 
said to the Episcopalians, thank you for sending the missionaries to us. We knew who God was. We knew who the creator God was because we could see God in the sky. We could see God in the elk herds. We could see God in the ice flows. We knew about God, but we didn't know the specific revelation of God in the person of Jesus. Mm. And you taught us about what self-sacrifice meant. You taught us about what empathy was. You taught us about things we didn't know. And for that, we will be ever grateful to you. Wow, that is wonderful. It really, and, and I mean, I think for scientists, I think for people who are studying pop culture, you're going to be asking questions about who God is. You're going to be mm. encountering this sense of who is the divine. And then when you get a chance to meet the person of Jesus, for us as Christians, you begin to see something new and unexpected and deeper. Just to keep us moving forward, I guess, because I could literally talk about all of this all day, but I do have an agenda. <laughs> and um, so where do you see, the, the next big question is, um, for Tea Time Theology anyway, is where do you see this podcast or the show or whatever Ivy, Mo and I have started going into the future? You know, I would love for you to keep on doing this focus on pop culture and, and what's exciting among young adults right now. Mm. Um, I'm an old guy, mm. all right? I, I, my wife and my daughter just roll their eyes at me when I walk in. And, and I tend to live in classical music and I tend to live in classical literature or big stacks of dusty books. Somebody has to be speaking to people in a context that makes sense to them. Mm. And and this is doing that. It's using... The, the Reformation started when Martin Luther figured out how to do printed books, right? And he was able to spread his message in a way that no one had ever, ever imagined would be possible. Uh, and, and his books were incredibly popular. I don't know, have you ever read anything of, of Luther's? I have not. He would be a killer god on Twitter. Yeah, he know he would. He would just rip people on Twitter. Some of the little epigrammatic statements. The, the dude was made for Twitter, mm. and he didn't have Twitter at the time. So he, there's going to be another Martin Luther arise, mm. another person who has a passion for talking about God and can connect with the modern technology and understand modern media. Mm. You know, it, it's we can write long, long, long 23-volume commentary sets and no one's going to read them. Yeah. But a really good Twitter message that goes viral, maybe 500 million people will see it. Yeah. You're going to preach to more people on Twitter mm. than you've ever preached to in your academic writing. Mm. You should figure that out. Um, you know what? We're working on it. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> and, and that's why I want to support this. It, it, I'm not actually even worried about it directly benefiting the diocese or the mm. Episcopal Church. The whole point of the church is to help people encounter questions that make them wonder about who God is mm. and, and yeah. find answers for themselves. Mm. And like you said, pop culture and especially science fiction and fantasy are prime places mm -hmm. where, like you said, the big questions are asked. Writers have answered those questions, but maybe we disagree with their answers. And because it's an isolated world, to play in, there are, you like I said, there are rules in the, in that little box that the episode lives in, and you can play if you play within those rules, you can maybe come to a different yeah. answer. What are those things that they uh, uh, shipping? Is that what they call it in Harry Potter when mm. people ship Hermione and and Harry, or they they ship Dobby the elf and and you know Ron? 
I have to admit that I am not a Harry Potter person. Well, it was a fan, fan fiction, right? So oh, okay. people write their own versions. Okay. They, they play in J.K. Rowling's playground. Yes. And they don't like the way the uh, the relationships are working, so they write yeah. their own relationships. Yes. Or, or they wonder, I wonder if I could make this story work. Mm. And, and they creatively try and do it. And some of them are really good. Mm. Yes. And, and the same thing happens for Tolkien. The same thing happens oh, with yeah. Star Trek. Star Wars, the whole extended universe, mm. is all a piece of that. And it's all wonderful. And it's people playing with questions that mm. they have in their mind and sharing it. I mean, mm. the beauty, again, of, of this new communications tool that we have. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, if anybody's listening, I just want to say right now, before we go to the credits and everyone stops listening, um, before they get there, reach out to us. If you have something you want us to talk about, really, reach out. We're here to listen to what you guys want to hear. And we will make episodes f- specifically for you. And maybe even an individual has something interesting they might want to hear. And we think, oh, wow, we didn't think of that, about that yeah. before. We'll make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have access to people who are highly trained mm. to, you know, blather on these things for a while. And yeah. if you don't like what they're blathering, then write in and tell us why we're wrong. Exactly. that makes the conversation happen. Yes, and it's, and it's all about the bigger conversation. Right. As long as we're talking and we're not yelling over each other, everything's fine. Everything's a lot better if we're mm. talking and not yelling yeah. over each other. Because when we start yelling at each other, things go sideways quick. Mm. Absolutely, we are here. We're talking about pop. We're talking about pop culture, but we're not saying talking about anything specific. But um, I did have a specific topic for today. Today we're going to be talking about just like everyone else. Uh, an episode of a TV show, and we're going to be talking about the series finale of one of my absolute favorite shows in the world, Quantum Leap, and it's the series, like I said, it's the series finale, Mirror Image. As I said earlier, I had an agenda when Ivy approached me for this podcast. Mm. My agenda was to sit down with a clergy member to talk about this specific episode of this specific show, and and guess what? I get to talk to the bishop about it, and I am. <laughs> Over the moon about this. You have no clue. Just so people understand it, Quantum Leap is a very obscure show. Not a lot of people have heard it, about it. It's obscure now. It was pretty popular back in the day. Um, I was there when it was coming out in the original form. Oh, it was so good, right? Uh, it's such a good show. I have to admit, I, I didn't watch that much of it. Okay. But I, I've gone back and I've, I've learned about it. Mm. And it's really... Again, it, it's a series format. People got to play mm. with moral questions. What are the implications of the choices we make? Mm. What are the impact of the choices we make on people around us? What's the moral payload if mm. we make a different kind of choice? Absolutely. Um, just to catch everyone up for those who might not be familiar with the show, Quantum Leap follows the adventures of Dr. Samuel Beckett as his soul, we'll just say soul because this is a religious podcast, um, jumps from life to life making things right that once went wrong and always hoping that one day he can leap home. Um, so the first thing I'll ask you is what are your thoughts on the episode in general that we had, that I had you watch? So he comes back to his own origin story. Yeah. And he, you know, it's this moment where he's been leaping through time, trying to make things better with the idea that this is the one leap he wanted to make. And, and he finally gets there and he discovers, in some ways, it, I wonder if the writers meant it to be. It's, it's a, what he's trying to set right is actually relatively small. 
Mm. It's not like he's there to make Hitler not be born, or he's not there mm. to um, stop the atomic bomb from being designed, or he's mm. not there to stop um, uh, Genghis Khan from wiping out the Christians of, of the East Asia mm. uh, nations. He, he's just trying to make two people meet each other. Yeah, right? and that's and, and I think that was always one of the wonderful things I loved about that sh- the show in general. He was never trying to do anything big Mm -hmm. it was always something small like a small catalyst in somebody's life that can change everything for the better most the old rhyme from napoleon the war with napoleon for one of a a nail a shoe was lost for one of a shoe a horse was lost for Mm -hmm. one of a horse a man was lost for one of a man a battle was lost for one of a battle a war was lost yes and and you 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 can never sort of fully understand the cascade of, Mm -hmm. of events what they call the butterfly effect mm, in, yes. in quantum physics. Yes. Uh, that when you have strongly nonlinear, non-correlated uh, fluctuations in a system, it's impossible to predict the outcome. Mm. And then you change it by measuring it. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, you change everything mm. by observing it. Yes. And, you, uh, you pin its quantum state. Mm. Um, so, <clears throat> and, you know, in, in this episode's particularly good you know this it, like you said it's a small thing it's not a big thing he's trying to save a couple of miners that that mm-hmm. crushed in a mine shaft but really the meat of the episode i think comes in the last 12 minutes of the episode and that's really what we're going to talk about today and okay. this is um uh in the last 12 minutes of the episode sam pulls aside the bartender Al, the, the owner of the bar that he's been in for the entirety mm. of the episode, which highly, which they highly suggest. No one says it outright, but it is heavily implied that this, this bartender is, in fact, God. Mm. And he tells Sam, he says, you know, the only person who's been leaping around this whole time is you. You've been doing this to yourself. You've always had the choice of going home. You just don't want to. Mm. And Sam doesn't believe him, and he starts pushing back and it, it, it begs the question helping people is a big part of this whole show mm-hmm. and in many ways I can see that Sam's mission is very similar to that of, of the clergy dedicating their lives to helping others through the church uh, to me it seems that you literally can't get into this game unless you want to help others Right? Right. But it's one of the questions we asked before we ordained you. Yes. And what and what are those vows? Uh, so I, they're, it's a whole series of vows. It, it's, it, if you got five minutes, I'd read them all to you. But, but essentially, it's you promise to be a wholesome example to your community. Mm. You promise to proclaim justice. Do you promise to help people who are ill? Do you promise to comfort people who are sick? Do you promise to take care of your own self and your family. Mm. Um, and, and by the time they're making those vows, they've been four years of, of vetting. And and in fact, we don't even start that process, at least I don't, until people can tell me how they have connected with people through their whole life. Because mm. you, you want somebody who is energized and, and supported by that. Mm. It's funny, I, for the clergy, one of the hardest things about COVID was it cut them off from the things that fed them. Mm-hmm. They didn't get to go visit the sick. They didn't get to go be with people who were grieving. They didn't get to go and 
play around with kids and answer questions and talk about things. They didn't mm -hmm. get to sit with people and help them think through moral dilemmas that they were facing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it became very exhausting for the clergy because they were cut off from the whole reason that they exist. Mm -hmm. and you, you wonder if Sam, mm -hmm. right, if he had stopped trying to help people, would he stop existing? Right. Or would he be sent back to where he came from because... Uh, and would he even know that he'd had this amazing set of experiences? Mm, absolutely. So, I guess the big question is, what what is it like, as a clergy member, dedicating your life to the pursuit of helping others? I guess that's the big question. Well, about a third of the time, I'm glad I did it. And about two-thirds of the time, I'm really ticked off at God. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I did this. And I didn't fully understand all the implications. It's complicated. I think yeah. um, there are moments when it's very fulfilling and rewarding, and there are moments when you just keep moving forward because of the discipline of, I made vows, I made promises, and I'm going to try my very best to keep mm. those promises. It, it can be... I have put my hands on people who were filled with joy and excitement and happiness that they were being set aside to help others for the rest of their lives. And then I have been with people that I assume were filled with that same joy and happiness as they're coming to the end of their career, as they are hurt and bitter and frustrated mm -hmm. about just how their life has turned out. It is really a gift of yourself to a church. And it's not, it, it's like going, I don't know, I don't know the way it's spent. It's like people who volunteer for the military and they go off thinking it's going to be this glorious uh, adventure and they discover that combat is horrible and destructive and it leaves you wounded for the rest of your life. Mm. And I think anyone in the helping professions, not just clergy, doctors, mm. nurses, social workers, police officers, uh, teachers, they go into it with a high level of idealism and they discover quickly that it is incredibly difficult just to have empathy for people who are struggling and in pain because you take that pain and that struggle into your own life. And it comes with a cost. What is it like being consecrated? I don't... So like, to be consecrated is yeah. to be set aside for special purpose. Mm -hmm. So we consecrate wine on Sundays. We consecrate bread on Sundays. Bread and that wine are set aside for special purpose of communicating something about who God is to people who receive it. We consecrate fabric to be altar furnishings. And we consecrate people. And, and typically we talk about consecrating a person to serve the church as a deacon, a person to serve the church as a priest, or a person to serve the church as a bishop. Mm. And it is a moment when you take vows, people lay hands upon you, and the church together says, we have a special purpose for you in your lives. And you're going to take on a kind of discipline about how you're going to live your life so that we can have you in our lives. I think that's the, the piece that people don't, often anticipate how the discipline of taking on holy orders can really be a lot more than they imagined in, in terms of uh, having to deal with things they don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it sounds it sounds stressful. It, it, it is very stressful. And, and that kind of leads me to my, to, to my to the next part of the conversation Sam has with God. Uh, Sam, like throughout the series, it seems as though Sam has no control mm -hmm. over where he goes and what lives he touches. 
and Gon says to him, uh, you've always had the power to return home. Right. And if you, if you really wanted to, you it would just happen. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he continues to leap from life to life is because he subconsciously wants to continue helping people. He always feels as though his job is not right. done. And when given the choice to return home, the end of the show says, we get a card that says, and Sam never returned home. Um, you know, and in that scene, he, Sam voices his frustration, and he just he just wants to go home. He wants this all to be over, and he and he can't do. It. He just don't want to. Just, he doesn't seem he doesn't seem to want to do it anymore. And I guess my question is to you. I mean, have you ever wanted to hang up the collar in yeah. your profession, <laughs> in, in your life? And about once a week, <laughs> once a week, and 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 my next question is what what drives you to put it back on every morning? So, so some days it's because I made a promise, and I will keep my promise mm-hmm. uh, to the best of my ability. At least at every day I make a commitment to try to keep that promise as well as I can. Other days it's because you realize that's who I am. That's who I've become. Um, mm-hmm. When I was leaving physics to begin my theological studies, an old friend of mine, a math teacher, uh, was talking with me about what was happening. He said, now look, Nicholas, I've known you would never have a job. You would always want to have a vocation. You'd always want to be able to give your entire self to a cause. And, And the church has given me that opportunity to do that. If I had been a teacher, I would have been a teacher by vocation. Mm. Uh, if I had been a writer, I've been a writer by vocation. But my fullest expression of who I am is this person who serves the church. It's the thing that gives me the... It's like being in love, right? It's the thing mm. that gives you the greatest joy and drives you absolutely bonkers with frustration. That's true. And, and you stick with the relationship because you know that either you made a promise or you stick with the relationship because you know that you can ride out this bad patch and you'll get to the good stuff again. It's great to hear that that you feel that way and that most clergy feel that way about chosen vocation. And, and particularly right now. I, yes. I have to say, it's the thing that I'm encountering as I talk to our clergy after COVID. Mm-hmm. They're exhausted. They're burned out. And a lot of them just say, I can't do this anymore. And what I'm asking them to do is instead of quitting... Can you? Can I give you six months off? Mm-hmm. Okay, just take six months. Catch your feet underneath you. Catch your breath. Mm-hmm. See if you can fall back in love with with the promises you made, and and and, and fall back in love because gosh, we need you right now. Mm-hmm. We really need you right now. Mm-hmm. We need your experience. We need your passion. We need your discipline. Mm-hmm. And and almost all are agreeing to okay. I'm just gonna hang it up for a little bit, and then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully they'll come back. It's. You know, you don't think about how dark, how dark the time we went through really was until you hear stories about, until, until I heard, just heard that story. Like, like, you know, I know I had a hard time going through everything, but people who dedicated their lot, who dedicate their lives to helping others and being with people and doing all this. When, the, when you hear that those people were considering hanging up the collar and stepping away during this time, it, 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 it like I said, it just shows you how dark the time is that we, we just lived through. I, I Talk to any doctor, talk to any nurse, 
mm-hmm. talk to anybody who is in the helping professions, police officers, fire that they're all feeling the same way. This was horrible, and it happened against a background of a highly divided culture mm-hmm. where people are just hurling insults at one another. People who thought they had autonomy and they didn't have to depend on other people are discovering, in fact, they are not independent and completely free and self-sufficient. Mm. And for some people, that's really disturbing to recognize that they have to count on somebody else. Yeah. And, and it tears apart their self-image. Going back to the quantum leap, right, Sam? What do you mean? I could have gone home at any time. Mm. It, his whole story of who he was was being deconstructed by this conversation with God. Mm. And and that's, I think, for all of us, I mean, what I imagine it'll be like when we stand in front of God is we are faced with the truth of who we are. It's not that God's going to punish us or throw us in the eternal microwave. It's that we have to confront the reality of the decisions we made and the implications that those decisions had, mm. both for good and for ill. Mm. And, and some people, facing that truth is more than they can bear. They, they cannot take the mask off. They cannot take mm. their own sort of uh, facade off. Mm. And it's terrifying. Mm. When, when I do uh, counseling with people, sometimes you'll walk them up to the truth, a great insight, and you, they're getting so close to it. And in that moment when they're just about to understand something really powerful about themselves, this look of panic comes over their face. Mm. And you can see them drawing back in on themselves. They get so close to that moment of realization and, and transformation, and it's too much. Mm-hmm. And, and they'd rather hide, or they'd rather live in the construct that they have created for themselves than to be free. Yeah. Well, um, our time's almost up. Um, I figured we could, uh, any final thoughts on Quantum Leap or the on the episode or the topic that we've discussed or anything you you, you think feel as though needs to be said so that last, the last card where it says and Sam never did go home mm-hmm. was there comes a point when you decide this is my vocation this is who I am mm-hmm. even though I could go home even though I could walk away that sense of no this is my identity mm-hmm. that decision on his part that decision on the part of clergy that decision on the part of humans and whatever their vocation or whatever their role is that's the sort of great heroic moment of what it is to be human and whether it's done in the clergy whether it's done in the helping professions whether it's done as an artist whether it's done as a parent uh, whether it's done as a family member or as a friend whenever you get to do that that's when you're living out your truest self and that's what all of this is about that's very profound they pay me to do this. <laughs> um, so uh, usually we ask if someone wanted to find you on a Sunday, where would you go? But I don't think you. Oh, they can now. Oh, you can. I, so, uh, so we are about to reopen the cathedral as a virtual church. Oh, fantastic! And we, I've been preaching online for over a year and a half now, and I have my little fan club. They're the most wonderful people in the world. Uh, you can go to my blog entangledstates.org and I post the sermons and the videos usually on Saturday afternoon. Some of our small churches are using them for their sermons. Other clergy are using them as for inspiration when they're stuck. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people are just watching them because they're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> but uh, if you want to, it's about 15 minutes of your time and I'll read a Bible lesson 
and I'll have a meditation on it, and then we'll have a prayer. Well, that's and, fantastic. And you're done. Right. <laughs> Worship for Sunday. Check. Nice. That's great. Okay, well, Bishop Nisley, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll happy to have you, and maybe we'll have you again on again for another episode well, in the future. And, and, you know, bless you for what you're doing and for the work and, and for the creativity you're all showing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Young John was listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinsky, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Mo Akande and David Hines for the Season 3 music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.